0: A roundup of the main business news from China
1: and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Jujufong coming up on the program. China waives tariffs on 98% of taxable products from six African countries, bringing the number of African nations receiving zero tariff treatment to 27. Today marks the 8th anniversary of the foundation of the Egyptian infrastructure investment bank, or AIB, which now has 109 members. And in today's Biz Focus, we explore how AI is helping with smartphone manufacturing in China and why foldable phones are trending. China now provides zero-tariff treatment for six least developed African countries. Starting from today, Monday, 98% of taxable products from Angola, the Gambia, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Madagascar, Mali and Mauritania are exempt from tariffs when entering China. This increases the number of African countries receiving such treatment to 27 by the end of the year. China also plans to expand its zero-tariff treatment to other least developed countries that have diplomatic relations with the country. Our Robert Nagila has more.
2: From the 25th of December, 2023, China says it will exempt 98 percent of taxable products from paying tariffs when accessing markets across mainland China from six African countries among them as you mentioned uh, Madagascar Mali the Gambia and Angola now what this means is that almost all the products for export from these countries heading towards China will be exempt from paying things like duty for example now it is not the first time that China is doing this. Uh, on December 1st, 2022, last year, China exempted a number of African countries, low-income African countries from paying tariffs for the goods that they were exporting. And here we're talking about over, or rather close to 9,000 products accessing various Chinese markets across mainline China. So this is a win for these uh, African countries, and a good Christmas present for them. But more importantly, it goes To show the cooperation between China and Africa and how deeply cemented uh, the friendship between these two sides is, uh, not just in the past, in the present, but also moving forward.
1: China has been Africa's largest trading partner for 14 consecutive years. In 2022, trade between China and Africa surged to a record uh, 282 billion US dollars. That's an 11% increase on a yearly basis. About 15% of Africa's total goods export go to China, which mainly consists of fuel and agricultural products. Besides trade, China's direct investment in Africa exceeded $47 billion, more than doubling from a decade ago, with manufacturing being China's key area of investment in Africa more on China Africa trade, let's bring in Zhou Mi, Senior Researcher of Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Zhou. China will grant zero tariff status to six additional African countries from today, bringing the total number of African countries receiving this uh, treatment into 27. What specific products are eligible?
3: Yes, as you mentioned, they are covering about 98% of the products. So it covered almost everything. I think that uh, if you want to see some of the specific products, I would see that all the manufacturing products will be covered. And together, there will be still many other agricultural products, including some of the fishery products and also some of the fruits and other things. Actually, we are still trying to uh, improve the trade. From Africa by importing their raw materials, which is kind of very important source of uh, export, especially for Angola. So I I would say that is a very wide coverage of the products that African countries produce.
1: Hmm. Africa's economic size is relatively small in the global economy, at between three to four percent. But why is it important for China to develop trade with Africa?
3: Yeah, I think that uh, we, we should try to think about this question in two sides. For China, we are really encouraging the import from African. like for the first CII, the, the China International Import Expo, we had so many things to import from China, which can provide a lot of choices for Chinese consumers while well, on the other hand I would also say that the export from China to African countries is very important to support their industrialization and urbanization, and it is a really very good in- examples for the bilateral cooperation between the developing countries in the world.
1: Mm. Now Chinese President Xi Jinping's global development initiative emphasizes that no single country should be left behind especially those least developed countries. How does helping other countries also help china
3: because china is also developed from that stage of not that developed uh, phrase i would say that uh, cooperation between china and african countries are really helping each other to make better use of its uh, resources and energies. So actually, we are also trying to move up on the global value chain. I, I think that it, it is also true for African countries. So they can produce more things like the manufactured products and which can export to China. So for both countries, I, I think it's a really a uh, complementary cooperation between us, not only in the, in the ways of uh, just taking advantage of the others but trying to support the others for the market and also for the people.
1: Thank you so much for your insights. Mr. Zhou Mi, Senior Researcher of Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Corporation. Come up next. Today marks the eighth anniversary of the foundation of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, or AIB, which now has 109 members.
4: The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global Business Reports highlight
1: emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN. Today marks the eighth anniversary of the foundation of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, or AIB. As early as 2014, financial ministers and representatives from 21 Asian countries, including China, India and Singapore, signed a memorandum of understanding to establish the Multilateral Development Bank. A year later... The AIB was officially set up as an international financial institution on December the twenty-fifth, the Christmas Day. During the opening ceremony of the fifth annual meeting of the AIB in 2020, Chinese President Xi Jinping announced the AIB had achieved a membership of 102 spanning six continents. By the end of 2021, the AIB had 104 members, and as of September of this year had it grown to 109. For more discussion on the 8th anniversary of the AIB, let's bring in Wang Yao, Jing Assistant Professor in Economics at Peking University. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what are some of the key achievements of the AIB over the past eight years?
4: Well, thank you for having me. Uh, One of the biggest achievements is, of course, the number of members it has. Uh, Despite the word Asia in its name, uh, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank never stopped at Asia. Now it has 109 member countries from all continents in the world, and this is essential for an organization that practices multilater- uh, multilateralism and seeking to uh, sustainable economic development of the entire human society. And these cooperations are not just on paper, The AIIB has done a lot of infrastructure projects in these member countries. For example, bringing electricity into villages in Bangladesh for the very first time and building the world's largest solar uh, power plant in Aswan, uh, aiming to reduce 2 million tons of carbon dioxide emission per year and ending poverty and fostering sustainable growth at the same time. And there are hundreds more projects like these. And so these are the very great achievements
1: Mm. You just told us the AIB expands more than the Asian region. So what has AIB done right to be able to expand outside of Asia and attract uh, over 100 member countries?
4: Well, we mentioned the quantity and quality in which what AIB has done, which is possibly why a lot of the countries are attracted in the first place. And besides the what has been done part, now how things are done in the AIB is also important for keeping the member countries in the organization and stay active members. Uh, For example, the decision-making process at the AIB is not simply by counting votes or money. About 30% of the ownership is held by China and 25% by developed countries and the rest 30-plus percent jointly held by emerging markets. That means each group would have roughly equal say in every decision, not affected by how many people or how big the economy of a few countries. This is important for an organization to stay politically neutral and not use aids and investments as ways to interfere into other countries' political issues and how this is how it wins friends for the long term.
1: Mm. The world is co- economy has been moderate uh, so far in recovery. What can the AIB do as an infras- international financial facility to help promote
4: growth? Well, when the world is in a moderately uh, recovery speed, the less developed countries are particularly fragile to any regional shocks. And the AIIB has shown its genuine actions towards economies in need. Uh, For example, during the pandemic, the AIIB set up a special fund window for less developed members, helping them lowering financial costs and improve project administration. And in the world today, with a lot of uncertainty, Providing certainty itself is a scarce resource, which is the AIIB has been doing. And in 2020, the AIIB launched a medium development uh, strategy for 2021 to 2030 and has been committed to that plan. And we look forward to more multilateral dialogues, cooperations, and trade fostered by the AIIB to help economies in need to get through the economic uncertainties.
1: Thank you so much for insight, Ms Wang. Please stay with us for further discussion of other topics later on in the program. Let's move on to some other headlines we're tracking at this hour. China's Press and Publication Administration approved new licenses for 105 domestic online games on Monday. So far this year, the administration has approved licenses for 1,075 online games, showing strong support for the online gaming industry. Denmark's shipping giant Maersk said on Sunday that companies preparing to resume shipping operations in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. This follows a U.S.-led military operation designed to ensure the safety of commerce in the area. And in Argentina, the government has rescheduled emergency sessions of parliament beginning this week to address President Javier Milei's controversial economic reform package mega decree changes or scraps more than 350 economic regulations. Earlier on Saturday, a number of civic groups filed a judicial motion to have the mega decree declared unconstitutional, which could end up before the Supreme Court. Since the beginning of this year, China's consumer market has shown prominent signs of recovery. Consumption has expanded steadily, highlighting the resilience and vitality of the Chinese economy. My colleague, Olivia Hu has more details on the country's consumption performance in 2023. Olivia.
5: Thank you, Junfeng. In 2023, China's consumer market has been steadily recovering. A future data shows that China's GDP reached 91.3 trillion yuan in the first three quarters of the year. Consumer retail sales have also increased by 6.8% compared to last year reaching 34 trillion yuan. This demonstrates a positive overall trend of market recovery. There are various fields of consumption that are experiencing growth. These include digital, health, entertainment and sports event consumption. When it comes to where people are spending their money, tourism and health are particularly popular. Research data from China's New Retail White Paper 2023 shows that nearly 50% of consumers plan to increase their spending on tourism in the coming year. Healthcare and technology electronics follow closely behind. The white paper also highlights the increasing importance of digitalization in China's economy. Consumers mainly research products they're interested in buying through online platforms such as e-commerce websites, live broadcasts, short videos and review and evaluation apps. Brands are responding to this by focusing on their own digital transformation to meet the online shopping preferences of consumers. That's what I've got so far regarding the consumption trends of 2023. Now it's back to you, Junfeng.
1: Thanks much, Olivia. Now we're going to have more discussion on China's consumption in 2023. Let's bring back Wang Yaojing from Peking University. Ms Wang, what's your assessment of China's overall um, consumer market this year?
4: So overall, China's consumption market has done a much better job than last year. And from January to November, the total sale, uh, retail sales of consumer goods has increased uh, at 7.2% compared to 2022. Uh, We are seeing the biggest increases from uh, goods like apparel, cigarettes and alcohol, and services like dining, sports and entertainment. But we also see falls in office supplies and construction materials due to slowdown in the housing market. And in general, China's consumption market in 2023 has been recovering from the negative impact from the pandemic in a resilient way. It's still a main driver for the overall economic growth.
1: Right. But statistically, the numbers are good. But what are the reasons of some people feeling that the consumption has growth has rather been muted or moderate? especially in the second half of this year?
4: Well, uh, actually, the total uh, retail sales of consumer goods numbers have reached the bottom at July and has been increasing since. So the increase rate in, in November was actually 10.1% compared to last year. And of course, the outlook for labor market, and the housing market, and the domestic market, and of, of course, the uncertainties from the global market are holding some household consumption back. But the government is trying to counter these negative impact by releasing supportive policies to help consumption stay strong. Mm.
1: What new measures have been put in place to boost consumption? Will these things, will the consumption get better in
4: 2024? Well, Actually, on uh, July 31st, the National Development and Reform Commission announced 20 measures to boost consumption, mainly on four chains of consumption. That's uh, vehicles, housing, uh, service and digital uh, consumption. For example, the service industry would include, say, dining, transportation, uh, tourism, concerts, uh, sports events, and a variety and a chain of consumption that's associated with it. And looking ahead, we might see more supportive policies in the line, uh, taking vehicles, for example. Just last week, we see a tentative policy in Hangzhou to relax the vehicle license restriction in in both purchasing and operating. Mm. So one city alone could release about 200,000 cars of demand, translating to a 30 billion yuan worth of revenue to car manufacturers. And we look forward to see more supportive policies in more regions to support uh, consumption in 2024.
1: Thank you so much. That's Ms. Wang Yaojing from Peking University. Time now for our special series, Biz Focus, where today we explore China's smartphone market. A recent report shows China is set to ship over 280 million units of smartphones next year, driven by improving macro economy as well as a consumer appetite for better gadgets. Today, I'll take you for an exclusive glimpse inside a Shenzhen smartphone factory using cutting-edge technologies. It has a production line that is 80% automated. Also meets the brains behind the game-changing, innovative foldable phones, transforming China's consumer tech market. What does the world's most cutting-edge smartphone factory look like in 2023? I find myself in a Chinese smartphone company's Shenzhen factory. This is a rare opportunity. This company is confident enough to showcase its cutting-edge technology production line. I can say that is the most advanced production line worldwide. It's the most advanced? Yes. And of course, this is just by today. So we also know we need to improve the automatic capability and the process. What I witnessed here is up to 80% automation throughout the whole production line of assembling, testing, and packaging of the latest mobile phone model. And China's manufacturing has gone from mostly human labor-based to increasingly based on advanced technology. So we're rapidly moving into a world of smart manufacturing. The company not only manufactures phones, but also develops phone-making machines, known as HIEP, Owner Intelligent Equipment Platform. Now HIEP is responsible for 40% of its full manufacturing procedures. There's two kinds of R&D. There's working on the product, and there's working on the systems that manufacture the product. You could work on your business or you can work in the business. The company's real strength lies in its 8,000 strong scientists and engineers team who are dedicated to research and development in the phone area that enables the company to continually enhance its manufacturing and software for smartphones. I wonder what 8,000 engineers do to take the phones to the next level. Turns out they are the ones dropping phones. Making them waterproof, perfecting the buttons, caring for our eyes, improving signals, stabilizing photos, using supercomputers for AI, developing more sophisticated machinery, and working on the next generation foldable phones. Foldable phones are notoriously challenging to produce, but this company has successfully emerged as China's best-selling foldable phone maker so far this year. So advanced technologies is the key that propels China to the forefront of the global smartphone making, commanding over 60% of the world's phone output. Are affordable phones worth it? Should your next phone be foldable? After working, watching videos, taking selfies, playing games, and reading articles on a popular foldable phone for a whole day, I could share some user experience. Bar phone versus foldable phone. Round one, compare prices. Bar phones have to switch pages. On the foldable phone, you can do this when you order delivery food. Comparing prices of products on Jingdong and Taobao like this. Round two, playing games. For bar phones, these digital buttons and the game display are together, blocking your sight. For foldable phones, this is serious gameplay, almost like a game console. Round 3, multiple tasks. For the bar phone, if you want to do multiple tasks, you have to switch between each other. If this one is playing, this one stops. If this one is playing, then this one stops. Check this out. You can play Both doing and Kuaishou at the same time. Round four, working on files. These documents with small words are really difficult to read. You have to zoom in and zoom out. Well, foldable phones have much larger screen, making sure that you can read easily. Actually, I can use the first file as the reference to write the second file. Here, you can always fold it and type on the smaller screen. There are also a number of concerns about these foldable phones. Number one concern is, is it heavy? Actually, this one I'm using is a bit lighter than this bar phone, so you don't have to worry about its weight. Is this expensive compared to the high-end bar phones? During the past few years, foldable phones prices have been dropping significantly. Is the hinge good to use? Actually, the hinge is excellent. It can suspend at different angles. And is the fold line very obvious in the middle? Of course, there's a fold line. It's called the C's. But it's not very apparent if the screen is bright and you're using all these apps. You get used to it and forget its existence. And the last concern is is the camera good enough? Actually, it's equally as good as bar phone if not better you can also use the main camera to take selfie for really high quality photos With cutting-edge technologies and robust manufacturing capabilities, every major Chinese phone brand such as Huawei, Honor, Vivo, Oppo and Xiaomi has ventured into the foldable phone business. Only 3 million foldable phones were sold in China in 2022, but that number doubled to 6 million in 2023 and is projected to double once more in 2024. The growth is expected to persist until affordables take up to 30 percent of the smartphone market share, offering significant profits in an intensively competitive and gradually shrinking smartphone market. China is the world's largest smartphone market for uh, these products. Over. 109 billion dollars in sales in 2023 as chinese technology manufacturers make advances their products are also finding success overseas including in mexico and latin america city tns alastair beverstock reports
0: in the global smartphone market, worth half a trillion dollars a year, there's a new emerging player, Chinese tech company Oppo, here celebrating a successful 2023 in Mexico. With a presence here since early 2020, this year Mexico saw more imports of the Asian company's products than the Apple iPhone, now with a 15% market share of smartphone sales in the country. At the December launch of the new N3 range in Mexico City, tech analysts have been impressed by the latest products. Son unos equipos they are tremendous phones, above all in the folding function which they have sold perfectly, but also when it comes to the camera, which is the best of any product I've seen this year.
3: El cuando, cuando lo
0: the screens fold when opened is almost invisible, something which is not the case with other products on the market. And it's great for work, being able to have multiple apps open on the screen at the same time. With the launch of the N3 Find and the N3 Flip, Oppo hopes to grow its position in Mexico next year as it broadens into Latin America. Eduardo Morones is OPPO's Mexico director and vice president for Latin America, who says the numbers following the new product launch appear to predict strong 2024 sales for the company.
1: We have had a very positive reaction from consumers within the market niche of folding phones. Sales of the new Model 3 in its first week have already beaten those of the Model 2 during the same period last year. So we believe things are going to go well.
0: That's a challenge Morones says Oppo is equipped to take on, given the rapid advances in Chinese phone technology.
1: In Mexico and Latin America, we are building a loyal client base. That's not easy to do. It takes a lot of investment and brand marketing. So we have been a bit more aggressive with this new launch as we focus on promoting premium range products around the world.
0: With China representing more than a fifth of global smartphone sales, the Asian country's technology is becoming equally important on the other side of the Pacific. Alastair Bavostock, CGTN, Mexico City.
1: To wrap up this edition of Global Business. Thanks for watching our phone.